0: Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you for coming today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, that's page 925. If you're using our, uh, our Bibles here. Just checking if we have those uh, the PowerPoint up there. It'll be coming. All right. Well, I hope that this uh, time that we've been together here is one of the best parts of your week. What we do here is not entertainment, but I trust it's enjoyable. And it should be enjoyable if we are experiencing something that God is doing. Do you realize how big of a deal that is? If you were with us last week, of course, Easter Sunday is a special Sunday, and uh, we we had baptism here tank here, if you remember, if you were with us, and uh, some older and some younger, quite a few younger folks that were expressing publicly to all of us that they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone, and therefore they know they're going to heaven when they die. Do you realize how that marks them out from the rest of the teenage world, if you will, today? To hear them express their faith in Christ. What What is happening in a church if we are proclaiming the gospel is the biggest deal that is happening on planet Earth. The biggest deal is not what you see on the news. The biggest deal is what is happening in the hearts of people in whom God is at work. But there's a problem that always seems to go along with something good happening. And that is who gets the credit for it. Because we are by nature... Uh, kind of grasping for credit or even grasping to give it to somebody. When, when our Wisconsin teams are, are doing good, I mean, we, we just love our sports heroes. We love the manager. When you're, when you're winning everything, you, know, you want to give credit to somebody. And in the opening chapters of this uh, letter from the first century, Paul to the church that he started in Corinth, he uh, has been reminding them that They should stop seeing even their spiritual leaders as some kind of hero. Pick it up the verse before our passage. Look look at verse 4, chapter 3, 4. When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? He's saying, do you realize you're acting just like the world when you say, hey, because this is what's going on, that some people said, I am all excited about Paul. Paul was the one who started this church in Corinth, MVP, Paul. And others would say, oh, but Apollos, Apollos is a much better speaker than Paul. I, I'm, a, I'm a team Apollos, and Paul says, when you do that, don't you realize you're just acting like the rest of the world, trying to... Pick your heroes. I can almost see Paul rolling his eyes. He's writing this letter uh, a couple hundred miles across the Aegean Sea in a a city of Ephesus. That's where we get the book uh, Ephesians in the New Testament. He's writing because he's heard about what's going on in Corinth. And he says, guys, don't do this. Verse 5, 6, and 7. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord, that's Jesus, has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He says, you have fallen prey to this uh, insidious spiritual idolatry. Team Paul, team Apollos. It shouldn't be. It must have been kind of awkward, I think, for Paul because he was one of a, you know, the guys with the names. So he has to talk to them a little bit awkwardly and kind of disarms the conversation by saying this, who are we anyhow, really? What's our role? He says, we're servants. Leaders are servants. Now, we're kind of used to that. Politicians always say they're public servants, and we're kind of questioning that sometimes because it seems like there's a lot of ego involved. But leaders are servants. He says, we are just servants through whom you came to believe. And the believe being the the operative word here, you came to believe in Jesus Christ, and that's the big thing. The big stuff that's happening is this, is this divine transaction between heaven and earth by which Jesus from heaven came to earth, paid the penalty for our sins so we could go from earth to heaven. That is the big deal. So leaders are just simply people who point people to that privilege, that eternal privilege. So the idea, though, of, of leaders being servants, where does that come from? Well, Paul is an apostle and Paul is very much aware that Jesus Christ himself came as a servant. When Jesus was with his 12 disciples, I didn't include uh, Paul uh, because Paul had not yet come to faith in Christ, but this is what Jesus told his disciples. He called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So, I mean, you just see these tears of of power that take place in our world, right? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. He completely flips the script. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So he has created a whole new template of what it means to be a servant, leader, or to be a leader. Leaders are servants, the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus created all things. Jesus rules over all things. And he's the one who came to serve, and he came to do it through the most humiliating, most excruciating, sacrificial cost that could ever be, and he went to the cross to give his life a ransom for many, Philippians two would be another uh, passage like that, in which, sorry, in which uh, he says it says that he Jesus laid aside these divine prerogatives. He had all glory, he had all power, he had all privileges of eternal uh, everything in heaven, and yet he laid those aside, and it says he took the form of a servant. That's us made in the likeness of man. Why? So he could die and go to the cross. And if the Lord of heaven of earth did that, then why would we put even one another on a pedestal? We're just servants through whom you came to believe. We're nobodies who are pointing to somebody. Or chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we have a, very, we have a single string uh, song. We preach Christ crucified. That's what we do. We preach Christ crucified. We don't, go, we, don't, we don't add anything to the cross. You can't add anything to the cross. People all over the world in religion are adding something to the cross. They say we believe in the cross, but they're adding something to the cross. No, we preach Christ crucified because people are dying and going to a Christless eternity in hell. And there's only one way of escape. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God who loved us, and he came and he paid that penalty. So he says, we're going to stay on that one-string song because that's what everyone needs forever. So he said, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're just those who plant seeds and water seeds. And he's introducing here, of course, a a farming uh, metaphor. People need seed-planted. And they need the seed watered. And we are planters and water carriers. Last week as we were listening to the testimonies here on stage of people who had put their faith in Christ, I had to think how we are a continuation of that same church of Corinth 2,000 years later. And they heard it through Paul and Apollos and then the next generation heard it from people that we don't know their names, but Paul and Apollos had a part of their life and, and then the next generation the next generation and the next generation and, and someday the church will have those teenagers that gave their testimonies. They will be leading the church someplace and they will be communicating the gospel to others and this will go on until Jesus Christ comes back as he promised and we know there will always be someone who will be next. So please, Paul says, don't put anyone on the pedestal because we are simply those servants through whom you believe. We, did, we didn't make these people into citizens of heaven. God did that. We can't, we, can't, we can't transform hearts. Only God can do that. I planted, Apollos watered. God made it grow. Now, Paul was probably not uh, a farmer himself. Don't know if he had a background of farming, but basically back then, everybody knew uh, everything came from farm, not from cartons uh, in a grocery store, because uh, this was metropolitan Corinth. Metropolitan Corinth is like the big city of the day. It's kind of the the, the Chicago, even though size-wise it was probably closer to Milwaukee, but it was the big thing on the Aegean Sea with a couple different ports and a lot of buzz of activity. But somewhere, or all over that town, there had to be these markets. And so everybody knew that every piece of, of food or fruit or vegetable or grain or bread or whatever, it all came from some garden, some field, some vineyard, somewhere. And so he says, think of the gospel like that. God is making the gospel grow. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot talk people into believing in Jesus. And if, and if you've put your faith in Christ, you've, you've had a burden to tell people, you may have tried. And you've, you've wanted to maybe shake them and say, please, don't you understand who Jesus is? And but You can't talk them into it. All you can do is plant and water. Plant and water. On the, on the farm in Kansas, Dad could farm perfectly all year long. And we could have a crop failure. Because if it didn't rain you'd have crop failure. And if it rained too much and flooded out, crop failure. If it hailed, you'd have a crop failure. If there was too much heat for too long, you'd have a crop failure. So my dad could do everything perfectly as a farmer, and yet everything he did could be useless unless what? God organized the weather. God would provide the weather that was needed. It's the same thing spiritually that only God can bring spiritual growth. So we have to be very careful when we start assigning credit and, and picking our, our spiritual heroes. I was privileged to uh, attend Dallas Theological Seminary in the 1980s, and if you're about my age, and if you were studying the Bible back then, uh, some of the, the professors uh, that I got to study under there were a little bit household names in the, in the church world, uh, at least, and so you, you could you could have heard the names like John Walvert or or Dwight Pentecost or Charles Ryrie or Howard Hendricks and, and uh, or some of the some of the graduates Chuck Swindoll or Tony Evans who are still going the other guys are are with the Lord and and you know it it's interesting as students would walk into a classroom and sit down, and, and now suddenly the, the, the professor up there was this guy whose books they had used already, you know, back in the church at home, or, or for me back in Bible college before then. It's like, man, I get to, get to sit under, you know, this guy or this guy. and God used those men in my life, and I'm still using what they taught me, you know, this week. But they never changed a heart. And I get to speak here week by week, and I've never changed a heart because we don't change each other's hearts and we have to let go of of somehow thinking that we are the key piece to this we are servants through whom people believe and so we plant seeds and we water but god makes it grow and so paul has been continually warning us against this, this this idolizing of the leaders, because it seems that one of, the, one of the problems that develops when we begin to put people, you know, like, wow, that guy's great, or that woman speaker, she's amazing, is that we, be, we become overly dependent. When we are overly dependent on someone spiritually, it's a mark of immaturity. Think through, you know, just people maybe you observed in, in life where you see children who are attached to mom and dad just too long, you know. If you're, uh, if you're 40 years old and your mom has to wake you up, tell you what to wear, make your breakfast, and take you to work, there's, there's a maturity issue there, and it's time to grow up and be responsible for yourself. And that's exactly what they were facing because earlier in chapter 3, uh, verse 1, he says, you guys are like infants spiritually because you're, you're picking your favorite people. You become dependent. I said, I, I, all you could take is milk. You're still acting like babies. That was the key mark for why they were still carnal or fleshly. They were still babies. They were dependent on others. I love living in a time of technology because uh, resources, spiritual resources are just everywhere. I mean, it used to be it just was books and, you know, or TV and radio or something that you could get exposure to other speakers and, and preachers, but but uh, we still have those, of course. But now, I mean, it's just, you go online and there is just, everything is available. You, every podcast, every, you know, we're, we subscribe to the Right Now Media. I love that stuff. and I love that we can, we can just access and, and, and press a button and, and we can hear biblical teaching of all kinds everywhere. I love it, but... You knew a but was coming, right? But sometimes... Being exposed to so many amazing gifted, spiritually gifted people can cause us to, to so fine-tune our tastes that, you know who I really like is this guy. Who I really like is that, that woman speaker or that guy, and boy, they just, they just nail it. And I get it because certain people will connect well with you know just the way we're wired. They seem to really, really get us. What bothers me most is when sometimes, if you talk to somebody spiritually, it's like that one or two names, that's all you ever hear, because they've become dependent upon a certain person, and sometimes I've seen that go along with someone who is not connected to the local church very well. And so now their connection spiritually is this, this guy or this woman who is someplace, don't even know them personally probably, but boy, can they nail it. And so there's not a connection locally. And so they, that's kind of like they, they can do church with this guy, you know? And then, what if that guy bombs spiritually? We've heard, we've heard way too many of those stories in, in recent decades, right? And so if someone's been hanging on to one person and it turns out there's, there's, a, there's a spiritual fault line somewhere in that, in that life and, and now you're devastated because you're not connected to the body. You see, a church family is not perfectly professional. You'll have teachers who are more or less gifted. There'll be uh, people you will get to know whose personalities draw you and others who annoy you. (laughs) Families have idiosyncrasies, right? Irritants. And the neat thing about that is that's how we grow because it's when you know the messiness of one another's lives and that's who you actually are functioning with. That's when when you develop things like grace and and patience and, and forgiveness. And that's what the body of Christ is like. And, and so you need Apollos and you need Paul and you need others to grow. And if you see Christ shining through the warts and the weirdness of real people, you will not become so overly fascinated with a favorite, but fascinated instead with Jesus Christ, because He is the only one who can can make this crazy, misshapen, stained, and broken combination of people somehow look more and more and more and more like Him. It's God who makes things grow. the The theme of of uh, the plants and growth here obviously is assuming something, and that is that God is about your growth. Are you growing spiritually? How do you know if you're growing spiritually? I think one indication would be, are you connected well to the body of Christ? Are you connected well to the body of Christ so that there is a, a, a whole web of, of input to your life and you to others? Because the second characteristic, I think, of, of, of spiritual growth is when you are reproducing in the life of somebody else. In other words, there are others who are consistently growing because they see your life and they say, oh, I need that in my life. There's something that God's doing in that person that is empty in in me. And so you have to have a, a whole set of connections so that somebody else is able to grow because of what God is growing in you. It's just how God does it. God makes the body Grow, so you need Paul and Apollos and Peter, Paul and Mary and Susie and Joe, and you need everybody to contribute to one another with all of our imperfections and somehow God does amazing things. So who is God using in your life right now? They might be giving you joy or giving you fits, but one way or another, they might be helping to cause your growth. What, what is happening in your life that God is using right now? Once i heard someone say, whatever is happening in your life right now is God's will for you. Kind of hard to argue with that, that, okay, whatever God is to this moment, whatever happening in, is happening in your life right now is God's will for you right now. So how is God using that to grow you, whether it's learning from a mistake or learning from a blessing? Because, you see, trials can be causes of growth, If it causes us to to reach out to the Lord in dependence, confession, something He's showing us through this hard time. But see, trials can also, though, embitter us and we isolate and pull away from God. Blessings can be a part of spiritual growth because if we begin to see the ways that God has blessed us, that that is, is causing a gratitude within us, and we go wow, God has blessed me in this way, and now I can use this blessing, this, 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 maybe the time or the resources or the, the, the gifts or opportunities that, that now he can use this to help others. So bless, blessing can be a cause of growth, or blessing can be a cause of pride and taking credit for ourselves. We become self-sufficient so that we don't really need God. Do you see that? So your circumstances do not determine your spiritual growth. The direction of your heart determines your spiritual growth, and you can be sure that God is committed to your spiritual growth. As Paul writes, this, he wants to make sure that we, we know that God is responsible for growth and we don't take credit, but that the goal is, is growth. These are uh, exciting days at Open Door in a number of ways. Uh, We're experiencing some uh, numerical growth. So if we're growing numerically, that means uh, we're growing spiritually, right? I wish it was always that way. Because, you know, there's been plenty of other seasons where sometimes the numbers are are, are trailing off or or downward. And does that mean that we, we weren't growing spiritually in those seasons? I don't think so. So these are some exciting times, but simultaneously they are really hard times. I think we all all know that there's just been a, a series of, of losses in our church life, and we're still grieving, and families are grieving it doesn't get easier really we're We're searching to fill a, a staff position, of course, Find, finding someone to to be a partner as a as a fellow pastor it just seems to be a lot more like finding someone to hurry up and marry than it does just finding someone to hire to fill a slot. Appreciate prayer in this season of life. God certainly certainly knew you know, what we were, were facing, and you're going through so many hard things. I, I it seems like every week I I hear another two three four deep hurts, deep needs, significant concerns in the church family. And someday the the church on earth will be the bride in heaven and it'll all make sense, but until then, we've uh, just got to keep our eyes on the fact that Christ is the one who is growing us. I think of the, the farming uh, metaphor. My mind goes back to uh, to Kansas, in, in, in a growing season, the, you know the worst thing that can happen in a growing season? Is to have sunny days every day. After, after, after the crop is, in the, is in, the, in the dirt, until harvest, the worst thing that can happen is to have a sunny day every day. There's a name for that. It's called drought. Drought. And so especially in, in Kansas where our, our rain uh, falls always on the sparse side, the rumble of thunder was our friend. <laughs> yeah, let's get, some, let's get some storms. What we really need is some storms so the crop can grow. And something tells me that God's farming process is, is a lot like that, where, where God would know the exact right combination of weather that we would need as a church family. And God would know just the right combination of, of people, people. Uh, that would be part of the, the body, so we could, he could nourish us and grow us the very best. And then he will get the credit because no one else could put it all together like he has. So neither, verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So if God gets all the credit... Who are we? Well, we've learned we're servants through whom people come to believe. And our contribution is not unnoticed. Verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. And each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields. Field. God's building. So Paul says, this Apollos Paul thing, he says, we're not competitors. We're fellow workers. I think focus in verse nine is is workers horizontally, human beings who are working together. We're not competing with one another. The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose. Paul knew that Apollos was a good speaker. Just a little bit of review. We looked at this I think earlier on in our uh, introduction to 1 Corinthians, but in Acts 18, uh, we're introduced to Apollos, a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was proficient in the scriptures. Uh, now Paul and Apollos uh, spent time at the same cities, Paul of course spent a couple, uh, two plus years in, in Ephesus, and along comes Apollos, and he was eloquent, eloquent. A couple of verses later, it says how uh, Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. That's actually where Corinth is located, and, and he goes there. That's also where Paul, that's where Paul planted the church, right? And he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate. Don't you love it when, when there's, a, there's a Christian who can express uh, in public debate just the, the, the truth? This, this, is, this is, he says it just right. Kind of got those zingers, and you go, oh, boy, I wish I could have thought of saying that. That was Apollos. Meanwhile, what did people think of of Paul? A little later, when Paul's actually writing the second Corinthian letter, he, he realizes, I realize people still are not very impressed with me. For they say his letters, Paul's letters, are weighty and strong, and we know that. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. The guy's just not impressive when he's talking. He's not the kind of guy you're drawn to. And we thought, really? Paul? All we know him from is from his letters. He says, nah, that's not me. I may indeed, he said, be untrained as a speaker. Paul says, let's just, let's just call it what it is. We're, we're very different, me and Apollos, but we're not in competition. See, what marked the, the Corinthians, if you look back in verse 3, were things like envy, jealousy, quarreling, human nature, right? He says, you, you, we're not playing that game because as different as we are, we have one purpose. And what's that purpose? We preach Christ crucified. And He works in the hearts and people come to believe and new believers need the Word of God and the Word of God will be taught through a variety of people and, and, and the Holy Spirit has to accomplish the work or nothing happens. So we have to relax in the thinking of the body of Christ and go, yeah some will have a more public ministries than others i get the privilege of a of a public ministry but if i've i've never been more convinced that the most powerful ministries at open door are the absolutely invisible ones it's because you guys are praying i believe there's a season which god has really called us to pray and that god is using prayer and we have so much teaching there are dozens and dozens of you who week by week are preparing to teach the Word of God. If you just would, would picture, talk to, talk to Pastor Nate or, or uh, different ABF leaders, every week there is teaching in different classrooms below here, and there's teaching over there, and there is on Wednesday night, at every level, there is teaching and there's evening studies and there's daytime studies and there's men's and there's women's and there's some. Some are happening in homes that nobody even knows about. And there is teaching because the Word of God is the food on which we grow, but a Bible on a shelf does nothing. So that when the Bible comes unto your hands and you're reading it in the morning with your coffee, now the Word of God can, the Spirit of God can work in the Word of God and you can grow. And when all over the church family, people are using their spiritual gifts and they are taking the Word of God, not only to learn it for themselves, but actually to teach it to some kid, to some group, to some peers. And, and now this, this whole amazing field of God begins to grow. And that's just the teaching. Then there's a the serving. And so someone's taking care of kids in the nursery and there's technology magic happening over there and video in the little cramped room up there and social media, whatever cloud that happens in, I don't know, and there's talented musicians And there is greeting, and there is welcoming, and there is number crunching, and there is organizational work done in the office, and organizational work that's done on people's laptops all over the county, and there is food prep, and there is coffee prep, and coffee cleanup, and there is repairing, and there is maintaining, and there is library, and there is so much encouragement. I keep keep running into combinations of people that so-and-so knows so-and-so, and and they get together and they encourage each other and they pray for each other, and that's really who's helped me through this. And and so you have this incredible web of encouragement. And then there's the invisible financial ministry where people are, are, are making contributions regularly, regularly, regularly. And and all you get is is like a like an email from one person who knows what's happening in the office. And you put all of that together and you say it's all for one purpose to bring people to the gospel so that they will have a new address when this life is over. And they will spend forever in eternity glorifying God thanking God for what was happening on earth. The most important thing happening on earth during their lifetime. So last Sunday as we were hearing testimonies of some Some teenagers, these aren't aren't even teenagers that that I have, I've not had a personal part of of their life. Who who would you thank for the miracle of hearing a teenager telling about their faith in Christ and and marking them out as unique in this amazing uh, world of anti-Christ, that these guys love Christ, looking forward to forever with Christ. Who would you think? Where would you start? There's hundreds of people that are a part of their life. So, Paul says, let's simplify it. God made it grow, and let's give Him all the credit because only He could do that. And but what about our individual investment? Does God see those hours of service, those those times of prayer? And each one will be re- rewarded according to his own labor, verse 8. Each one, will be re- each one individually will be rewarded. Uh, Paul kind of drops this reward issue here because actually next, uh, the next study in verses uh, 10 and following is all about uh, rewards. And so we'll get into that, of course, next week. But he's, he, he plants this, this little seed here already so we know that don't think so short-sighted that, that your relationship with God is like, I did something for God, he needs to do something for me. Well, the nature of rewards is, is future. If you're, if you're training a dog, he's got to have his treat like now. He's going to keep up this good behavior. We're not, the, we're not the dog. And so we understand when God's word says he will reward each one according to his labor then we know that God will reward each one according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Now, that last statement, God's building, is also introducing us to a new metaphor. He's going to switch from farming to the building uh, trade in the illustration of next week. But we're workers in God's field. So he says, let's get over our petty uh, distribution of, of credit and know that Jesus alone is worthy, and we're just simply fellow workers helping the farmer, helping dad farm. When our children are too small to help, I often invented ways for them to help. They had no idea it took longer. <laughs> Every time they helped, it took a little longer. I can drill that hole faster and straighter, but they want to hold the drill. They'll make mistakes. They'll spill something, but they get to help, and that's that's what we do. We're God's fellow workers in God's field. This is this is God's field. This week, my. Uh, Brother sent me a, a picture, a farming picture, planting corn. Do you see any corn? I see, I, see a, I see a blue sky and a green tractor with a planter. And then I see dirt and uh, a bunch of old, crusty, trashy corn stalks from last year. I don't see any corn. But a farmer sees corn. Because a farmer knows that you plant the the seed into that soil. And uh, so when he plants, he begins to see that there's going to be a green sapling, and then it's going to get taller and taller, and it's going to be up here. And he sees there's going to be bushels and bushels of golden corn that are going to be pouring into a bin. But you have to have the patience that for now what you see is equipment and something going deep into the dirt among, among dirt and trashy, crusty stuff, which is actually very important in Kansas that, that those trashy stocks from last year are there because when the, when the moisture is sparse, you need as much of that to cover the ground as possible to preserve the precious little moisture that you have. But then there's going to be growth. And God causes the growth, and there will be a harvest that will be that will make it all worthwhile. I hate to push the illustration too far, but compare us all to dirt and trashy crunchy stuff, but You know, our lives are pretty messy sometimes. And God takes some of the hardest, dirtiest, crunchy stuff and says, that's how I'm going to make something of lasting value. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, humbled at the amazing work you are doing. Help us to see it first uh, in ourselves that we would not discount either the pain or the blessings, but realize that whatever's happening in our life right now is something that you are doing to cause cause us to grow, then help us to see that we are part of a field. Uh, We are not a single stock living this Christian life alone, but rather we are uh, part of a church family where each one is growing a little different pace, a little different set of experiences, but... It is you who is causing the growth. Help us to be willing, eager participants in accomplishing your great will for the growth of your body, which will result in eternal glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.